Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Well, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. everyone, I'm Guile, and I tweet at Door Podcast, and today I'm joined by Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho. You can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. And Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I'm at the Chikrin on Twitter. And Devin. Hey, this is Devin, GD Harpo on Twitter. And today we are continuing our reread of A Game of Thrones with John Six. And I want to give our standard spoiler warning. We will spoil everything. Um, trigger warnings for rape, violence, etc. Although probably not in this chapter so much. So um, we join John as he's having breakfast of apple cakes and blood sausage. Solid work. When as Sam, you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Sam comes to visit him, kind of bouncing around excitedly and tells John that he is going to actually get to join them at what is, you know, I guess I'm going to call it graduation. And he actually already knows what his job is going to be, which is, I, seems a little unusual. It, he's going to assist Master Eamon with the library and birds because they need someone who can read and write letters. And, you know, John's like, you'll do well at that. And, you know, we know from the prior chapter that John has basically suggested that this happens to, you know, basically he's to save Sam's life. So not a big surprise to to John at this point, but um, you know, obviously he's very pleased that his plan worked out. So the new recruits, um, they go down into the courtyard, and all of the bigwigs from the Night's Watch are there. So we've got, you know, Sir Alistair, Lord Commander Mormont, Master Eamon, etc. And they kind of give everyone this last chance. Um, you know, Lord Commander Mormont says. You came to us outlaws, he began, poachers, rapers, debtors, killers and thieves. You came to us children. You came to us alone, in chains, with neither friends nor honor. You came to us rich, and you came to us poor. Some of you bear the names of proud houses. Others have only bastards' names or no names at all. It makes no matter. All that is past now. On the wall, we are all one house. At evenfall, as the sun sets and we face the gathering night, you shall take your vows. From that moment on, you will be a sworn brother of the Night's Watch. Your crimes will be washed away, your debts forgiven. So too you must wash away your former loyalties, put aside your grudges, forget old wrongs and old loves alike. Here you begin anew. Um, which, you know, some, like doesn't the fact that debtors are in there, like that really kind of makes me mad. <laughs> Yeah, and I realized like, yes, the concept of debtors' prisons existed, you know, for a very long time. But yeah, it still seems like really, you know. Anyway, um, and he, he gives them one last chance. You know, if they if they take the vow, you know, the the punishment for desertion is death. But they can't, you know, bef- before they take it, they do have one last chance to to get out of it. And, um, you know, no one decides to change their mind, which what do we know, you know, what happens if they change their mind? Do they have to suffer the punishment that they would have gotten? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny that they say that with no mention of what happens if you leave, if you have been accused of a crime. Yeah, me too. Has anyone ever left? And what happened to that person? But I guess 
getting the penalty for whatever your crime or what you were going to get if you didn't go to the nice watch i guess that makes sense like john and sam you know they're there yeah oh yeah that's right like on their own basically yeah yeah Yeah. that's a good point Huh. interesting now no (laughs) maybe you maybe they just tell you you can leave and then winter i mean the north just takes you maybe i don't know they're like, good luck, like, guys. Maybe you just they don't go to get the out. three cities or something. Like, or something. Like, we're not helping you at all. Hmm. Just leave. So, Mormont, you know, Mormont says they can take their they can take their vows before the Septon. Um, but, you know, if any of them keeps to the old gods, they can, you know, and John, John does. And actually, um, Sam stands up and says that you know he he'd like to take his vows before the old gods because he's always prayed to the to the seven and they've never helped him and you know maybe you know maybe he'll have a better shot with the old gods oh, sam is so cute i know <laughs> <laughs> there um there's actually a question here that um that goes with this um particular section here um ancient octagon on reddit Asks, um, do you think Sam swearing the vows before a heart tree is a significant is significant in a magical old god's way? Um, we know Benjamin swore his vows before a heart tree as well, so do you think that bodes well for him making an appearance, reappearance? Hmm. Um, for I know for Sam, I don't think it means much of anything. Um, I think Benjamin does make a reappearance though. But not necessarily because he took his oath in front of a heart tree. I think just because he's a Stark. Yeah, same, same. I mean, I definitely think we will see Benjen again. Um, with Sam, I think this is representative of Sam, um, you know, being really flexible and and open to new things and uh, kind of kind of letting moving go. with the moment. Yeah, letting go. And I also think it's probably a really good sign of how loyal Sam is to John, which you know is true and will hold out. Well, and two, I think, you know, Sam, we've, you know, after this, we see Sam with, we see him with Bran, we see him in that, you know, we see him in that, like, magical corridor, corridor, whatever it is, with, um, with cold hands, we see him, you know, kill, we see him kill another, you know, we see, like, that he is, like, really involved in all of this, like, he's kind of a he's really involved in the magical side of the plot a lot. So I do think that Mm -hmm. him kind of not accepting necessarily, but him having that respect and having like that communication almost with the old gods might be really important. Even if it's just to, you know, because he's, is he like really the only person he and Gilly are the only person that knows that Bran is alive and beyond the wall. Other than Osha, I guess, and Rickon, but they don't necessarily so. know that they made it. Well, and what's his face, Theon's squire, right? Oh, yeah, oh. They just, um, I mean, they don't know that yeah. Bran and you know that Bran made it past there, oh. but yeah, 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 um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I think this is probably a good indication. It probably is a good indication of the way that Sam is kind of receptive to not just the old gods, but yes, the supernatural elements. I mean, Sam will be the first one to kill um, an other in you yeah. know thousands of years, and. Well, and I guess, too, if we think, you know, in our last chapter, we had a discussion around the maesters and kind of that war, you know, the war on magic, if you will, and where Sam mm-hmm. might stand in it. And I guess, you know, Sam's kind of already already thrown in with the magical side. Yeah. So, 
Um, so they're going to get to say their vows exactly actually where Benjamin said his in a um, Weirwood Grove beyond the wall. But first, they all the kids, the kids find out um, what houses they go to, more or less, like the sorting hat moment. Um, <laughs> and of the ones that we've met, Halder goes to the builders. Pip goes to the rangers, which I 100% did not remember. Um, I always thought Pip was a steward, like until I read this again. And, you know, Gren goes to the Rangers, Sam goes to the Stewards, um, Darian goes to the Stewards, and John goes to the Stewards. And, and John's almost ready to stand up and, and be like, you know, you made a mistake. And um, he catches Alistair Thorne's eyes, and, you know, Alistair's like watching his reaction. And when they leave, he's, he's almost smiling. So John is just enraged, and he really, you know, he thinks that Alistair, um, N- Alistair created this entire thing. And um, he's, you know, he's super pissed. Um, Bowen Marsh takes, he's the, Bowen Marsh, the Lord Steward. I also thought Bowen Marsh was young for some reason, um, but he's the Lord Steward. So he takes uh, Sam, Darian, and John and kind of what describes what their duties are going to be. And, you know, we know that Sam is going to be attending Master Eamon, but Darian, I thought this was hilarious. So this is what Darian's job is going to be. Um He's going to be, they're sending him to Eastwatch, and because he he sang at a High Lord's table and shared their meat and mead, they're going to send him to Eastwatch. And maybe your palate will be some help to Cotter Pike when merchant galleys come trading. We are paying too dear for salt beef and pickled fish, and the quality of the olive oil we're getting has been frightful. So <laughs> legit. His job in the Night's Watch at this point is to, like, taste the goods that merchants are trying to sell them and make sure that they're getting a fair price. They're getting a fair price, which I mean, of all of the jobs uh, on the night's watch, really? I mean, what a great job to end up with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like he's an olive oil taster. At taster. The, yeah. Yeah. And so clearly I, Cotter Pike is like an under taster. Right. And he's like the commander there. <laughs> You're like, what is going on at Eastwatch by the sea? Cotter Pike is that one guy on those on those um, episodes of Top Chef where their quick fire challenge is they have to like they're blindfolded and they have to like taste all these ingredients and identify them. He's like the guy that gets like three right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then they get to John, and John is going to um, be the personal steward for Lord Commander Mormont. And, you know, John's all pissy. Am I going to be, you know, helping him dress, getting his meals? And, you know, uh, Bowen Marsh is like, yeah, and you'll run his messages, keep a fire, change his sheets, you know, and do everything else. And, you know, John is real. John's like really kind of ha- having a temper tantrum. He's, you know, do you take me for a servant? And, you know. Yet Matthew- again, John, the privileged little, you know. Yeah. The High Lord is just, like, having a fit at the idea of being thought of as a servant and not at all seeing what's actually happening. And, you know, it's it was all John could do to stop himself from walking out. Was he supposed to churn butter and sew doublets like a girl for the rest of his days? God, John. Yeah. So John is, you know, John's kind of having a problem with this, to put it nicely. Like, he's really pissy about it. And, and I love how it's all over his face, clearly, because everybody who looks at him can tell something's wrong. Right. And, you know, he pulls the, I'm a better swordsman and a better rider. You know, he, you know, definitely feels like he's entitled to this role um, with the Rangers. 
and um, you know, Darian and Sam are both like, you know, Darian's like, John says it's not fair. And, you know, Darian, you know, brings up like, you know, this girl was waiting for me naked and I got accused of rape and, you know, they sent me here, you know, is that fair? And Sam, you know, was like, there's not a shame in this. And um, finally, you know, Sam really has to spell it out for him, you know, tells him, you know, about how when he was young, his father used to take him to, you know, basically take him to meetings and to court. And, you know, this is what Mormont's going to be doing. It's not John's going to be washing his clothes, but he's going to be reading his mail, taking his messages, attending him as a squire in battle, etc. And, you know, Sam, you know, tells him that just like, you know, just like Randall Tarley was doing for him and now for Dick and like Mormont's, they're grooming him for command. And, um, you know, John comes to, you know, kind of quickly realizes, oh, yeah, you know, he thinks about how Ned would take Rob, you know, and with would add Rob to his counsels and whatnot. And, um, you know, John, John certainly, you know, rightfully feels ashamed pretty quickly. Um, and he thinks, you know, Craven or not, Samuel Tarley had found the courage to accept his fate like a man. On the wall, a man gets what he earns, Benjamin Stark had said the last night John had seen him alive. You're no ranger, John, only a green boy with the smell of summer still on you. He'd heard it said that bastards grow up faster than other children. On the wall, you grew up or you died. And he's, you know, he says, I was acting the boy. Um, so John, you know, John kind of comes around. Um, why do you, you know, what do you think it is about John that, they decided to groom him for command. I mean, what aspects of, of him do you think like impressed, impressed the Lord commander? Is it just like well, his status or? Yeah, I was going to say classism right off the bat is probably definitely at play. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's obviously because of how well John kind of became the leader of his little, you know, group of trainees. Yeah. Like the group he came in with. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if, um, you know, I, I kind of, too, I wonder if this last second appeal for for Sam was what kind of was the final, you know, the final thing that did it. Like that, because, I mean, you have to figure that happens all the time, that there's, you know, the misfits on the wall and that, you know, finding a place, you know, finding the right place for someone was kind of like the final, the final, the final the, thing that they recognized in him. John, John basically showed some yeah. discernment. Yeah. yeah. And that um, he was could be a leader, particularly with um, the way he was when he first got there. How he was just kicking everybody's ass, really. Um, and then after the conversation with was it the one armed guy whose yeah. name I can't think of, he like changes it. And now he's helping everybody else, and I, I think that went a long way with that as well. You know what I think had nothing to do with it was like how good he is with the sword and how he rides. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that had much of all to do. <laughs> Probably to do not it. a lot. I mean, you know, definitely John has had the advantage of, of you know, shadowing Ned for his entire life. And he's seen what it is to command. And I'm sure he kind of naturally fits into that position. And again, this is a lot of class. John doesn't see it that way because he's thought of himself as an underdog his whole life, you know. But compared to all these other boys, yeah. he's definitely had quite an advantage. I keep saying boys. I realize some of them are adults. But, um, you know... It, it's also definitely them just seeing something in John and, and, you know, you're meant to see it in John that there's, there's just something a little special about him. I mean, he's got this dire wolf and everything else. I mean, you know, 
he's he's one of the heroes of the story. That's there's there's an element of that too. There's a little plot in this. Plot. <laughs> Damn you, plot again. Um, <laughs> Cardinal Girl seventy five on Discord says, um, even though John was raised with Ned's legitimate children, there are still nuances that he misses. I love how it's Sam who initially raised as his father's heir and is now stuck in the Night's Watch for life that gets through to John. Um to John why he's being singled out by Lord Mormont. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. is cool. And, I mean, that's probably another element of it, though, is that John can hear truth and recognize it when he hears it and change his mind, you know? Yeah. Which, you know, flexibility, we talked about Sam's flexibility, but John's flexibility is also, you know, one of the kind of keys to, to him, I think, finding the position that he finds as a leader. Which is so funny because, you know, we talk about Ned's complete lack of flexibility and, you know, yet John somehow managed to, like, it's the one trait of, yeah. of Ned's that they do not, they absolutely do not share. Like, John has that flexibility in thought that, you know, until, until he doesn't, basically. Yeah, I guess you see John's biological parents and his flexibility. Oh, they have a lot of flexibility, those two. <laughs> much, too much. Much, they have yeah. too much flexibility. <laughs> oh, Rhaegar. <laughs> so, um, so they set out late that afternoon, and they actually go under the wall. And I don't know that we've we've been. Um, I don't know that we've been beyond the wall, other than in the the prologue of this book yet. So this might be the first time that yeah. we actually go beyond the wall again. And you know, we find that there's actually a passage under the wall, and there's iron gates along the way. And Bowen Marsh has to unlock the, you know, they unlock these iron gates each way, each section. And John brings Ghost along with him. And, you know, as soon as Ghost, like, gets a breath of fresh, uh, you know, on the other side of the wall, like, he's basically off. You know, he's off, like, your dog at the, your dog at the park gate. Um, And, you know, they talk about, he talks about, they go beyond into the woods. And, you know, he had, John had hunted in the wolf woods. But this was, you know, this forest was, you know, very different feeling. Um, you know, I like this, this. Perhaps it was all in the knowing. You know, they had ridden past the end of the world. Somehow that changed everything. Every shadow seemed darker. Every sound more ominous. Um, so we're getting like that. You know, we're getting that little spooky quality again, which is really kind of cool. Yeah. And the sun is almost down when they get to the weirwood grows. So there's nine um, nine weirwoods in a little circle. And you know, Sam is staring. You know, he's really never seen this before, which is you know, there must not be, um, there must must not be a weirwood at, um, uh, I can't think of, I can't think of the Tarleys' home. Um, Thornhill? Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, and I kind of like that, you know, Bowen Marsh makes them leave the horses outside the circle. Um, you know, he says it's a sacred place, they'll not defile it, which I thought yeah. was cool that, you know, basically regardless of their religion or the gods they worship they you know they see this as the sacred place and this like special place yeah well i think probably being in the night's watch will do that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but i was gonna say with sam yeah. um you know a lot of the a lot of the weirwoods south of the wall especially south of the neck um there 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 might be some weirwoods but there are very few um heart trees with the carved faces okay. that's that's what's a little bit more unusual in the south i mean like i think the isle of faces has some um I think there might be one at Raven Tree, but there aren't many. Mm-hmm. So they they kneel and they they kneel and say their vows to the Night's Watch, and when they're done, you know the 
Bowen Marsh tells him, you knelt as boys and rise now as men of the Night's Watch. And the Rangers that were with them smile and congratulate them. But, you know, one of the guys is like, uh, we got to be starting back. It's dark's fallen and there's something in the smell of the night that I mislike. Um, so, yeah, they're, these, these hardened Rangers are, you know, pretty superstitious. And, you know, suddenly Ghost comes back to them. And, you know, John looks at him and, you know, thinks white fur and red eyes and that he's like one of the weirwoods. Um, but he has something in his mouth. And um, John calls Ghost closer. And, you know, Sam breathes in and, you know, one of them says, God's be good. That's a hand. And that's how our chapter done, ends. Done, done. <laughs> Wow, wait. So close to nightfall to go do this. Right? Like, <laughs> this just doesn't make any sense. Well, it's like that one guy is it a Geico commercial where they're like, Why can't we go in the running car? No, let's hide behind the chainsaws. Let's, oh, chainsaw. <laughs> let's go to the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> All I could think of was I one of my dogs at the dog park had run off into the tall grass and came out with a vole or something in her mouth. <laughs> like, Oh, it's not, I'm definitely not like come here. It's like drop it right now. Like, uh, like that should have been yeah. more realistic for John. Oh. Like drop it. <laughs> oh. Anyway, <laughs> little personal trauma. I'll just say when when you live in the country with dogs, you kind of get used to them dragging terrible things to your doorstep. I mean, I feel like I have cats that drag terrible That's, things from uh, you know the basement or whatever, at least on a yearly basis. So I got that enough. <laughs> I don't need it from the docks. <laughs> Damn animals presenting us with their trophies. How dare they? I suppose that's what Ghost thinks he's doing, though. I mean, I'm sure oh, there's like a supernatural boy. reason, but really he's doing it because... I'm sure it smelled great. Look what I did. Look what I found. Um, any other questions on this one? Any other thoughts? It's kind of a short, but very um, atmospheric chapter. Yeah. Like, it's a fun chapter to read just because we get back to that... Um, you know, we have, like I said, we haven't been north of the wall since the prologue, so it's kind of nice to to get a taste of that again. Yeah. All right. Well, I, you know, you guys, I hate doing the outro more than anything. Um, <laughs> you can uh, you can find us and support our podcast on Patreon and listen to us anywhere um, anywhere you get your podcast, uh, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, etc. Um, like. Like and comment. Send us email at close the door and at gmail.com. Um, talk with us on the Jamie Brienne Discord or on the Jamie and Brienne subreddit. Find us on Twitter at Door Podcast um, and Tumblr at Close the Door and Come Here. I think I've got it all. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, I am closing the door. Get out.